All right, this weekend, Saturday, March 30th, is our meetup. We're celebrating our 100th episode at the Boiler Room here in Chicago. Ten decades of how to do everything. It's a new millennium. Boiler Room, 4 p.m., Chicago, Saturday, March 30th. If you're listening to this after that date, it was awesome. We had a really good time, you guys. I'm so sorry you missed it. You really missed some crazy, crazy stuff. (laughs) That was nuts. This is How to Do Everything. I'm Mike. And I'm Ian. On today's show, our animal expert, Kevin Fitzgerald, is back to help you with a romance problem. An animal romance problem. Right. We'll give you an update on our March Madness brackets. But first... This week, U.S. pilots flew two B-2 bombers all the way from Missouri to South Korea uh, to participate in some exercises there. And that's a really long flight. So we wanted to find out what goes into it. We've got some B-2 pilots from Whiteman Air Force Base in Missouri online with us now. Hello, this is uh, Captain John Severance at Whiteman. Hello, Captain John. How's it going? It's going great. Uh, I have with me a pair of pilots. We're going to identify them by their call signs uh, just for security reasons. I hope that's okay. That's that, awesome. Yeah, that's Okay, cool. I have with me uh, Stuka and Colfax. They are both B-2 pilots. Hi. Hi. Hey I'm Stuka. And I'm Colfax. Can we just, can we start by asking you how you got those call signs? Hold <laughs> on. That's highly classified. No, no. <laughs> those are usually embarrassing uh, long stories that uh, usually we don't tell. Really? What is... What, embarrassing to our families. What is, what is it, Stuka? How do you, how's that spelled? S-T-U-K-A. Correct me if I'm wrong, Stuka. It's named in honor of a uh, German aircraft. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, that makes we'll just, a lot I of noise. We'll just, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. We'll just fair, say it's named enough. in honor of a, uh, an old German aircraft. So, okay, have you guys done a flight like the flight from Missouri to South Korea? Yes, actually. Uh, we do. We call them long-duration flights. We do them actually on quite a regular basis around here uh, just to keep the pilots trained in the aspects of doing those types of missions. I've done one myself uh, about 24 hours long. Whoa. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, at the same time, there's a lot of physiological demands that you have to overcome. Just uh, to be clear about the aircraft, you're alone in a, in a B-2, right? No, actually, there are two pilots on the B-2. Okay, okay. <laughs> wow, and there's no on-flight service, beverage service, anything like that. We nope. do have a microwave for heating up coffee. But... And do you a hot really? cup, <laughs> and they usually give us a cooler full of water. That's yeah. about it. So wait, where's the microwave on that? It's actually a little microwave they uh, just installed in the back. It's... Uh, Fairly good, but uh, half the fleet has them and half of them don't. So you're kind of rolling the dice if you bring something you got to cook. <laughs> so what do you? What would you be able to? Like, what would you microwave uh, during a flight? Hot pockets, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, breakfast foods. So okay, so how and how fast does this airplane go? I think it's uh, high subsonic, is what they say oh. everywhere. So uh, you don't want to break the speed barrier in a, a stealth aircraft because then it becomes uh, known to everyone that you're flying <laughs> above you. So. We try and fly at high subsonic speeds where uh, we maintain our stealthy capabilities. So there could be an airplane in the sky going almost the speed of sound, cooking a hot pocket right now. Absolutely. Yes. So when you're on a 24-hour flight, uh, how does that work? Do you, you take shifts? How long are you actually, uh, I guess, on the stick? Yes. Actually, um, our physiological uh, experts here help us come up with a schedule for how we're going to manage our sleep cycle. Usually each pilot will take a 45-minute to an hour-long nap at certain uh, phases of flight. But there are some portions of the flight where you want both pilots in the cockpit. Obviously takeoff and landing and then air refuelings. Uh, Or when we're going into ranges and actually dropping weapons, we have both pilots in the seat. But, yeah, we have a nice little cot that 
unfolds behind the seats where you can take a good hour, 45-minute nap. How much can you explain? How much space is actually then inside where you guys are in in the cockpit? How much space is there? When you're on a long duration mission, there's just enough barely to lie down on the floor and stretch your legs out. <laughs> okay, yeah. so this it's is about if you're over six feet tall, it becomes kind of crunched back there. But uh, there is it's comparable to a normal small airliner. Well, okay, it's pretty. So it is pretty cramped. Um, let me ask you maybe a delicate question. You're you're going sometimes twenty twenty four hours. How do you handle the going to the bathroom? They actually have a little <laughs> toilet uh, back there for us. Uh, it's not a private bathroom. It is literally just about <laughs> a, a two cubic foot toilet, which we uh, which we use for those flights. And like I said, it's small, so it, it'll fill up. So. Um, this may be a, a dumb question, but um, one thing that we've heard is is the these bombers went over to South Korea to participate in the war games with, uh, I guess, the South Korean Air Force. Um, when I hear that word a lot, war games, and I, I realize I don't really know what it means. Yeah, we don't use that term generally around here. We, we call them exercises. We have a lot of exercises with our allies and even different... Uh, areas of our own military. So we'll participate in these exercises with the Navy and uh, all of our allies around the world. And we do this quite often. I just wonder when you have to, uh, if you want to simulate what it would be to drop a bomb or, or actually do something that involved ammunition, do you, do you have, is there some kind of fake ammunition that you use or? Well, we do a lot of, uh, we don't have a lot of bombs we can just throw away because they're not cheap themselves. Right. So we, we can operate our plane in what's called the simulated mode where uh, all of our displays will show we have bombs in there, but it's actually just electronic and we'll go electronically or simulated uh, do bomb drops every day during our training yeah. missions. Occasionally we'll go to an actual range and drop. Uh, for the most part we drop concrete weapons, which are literally a 2,000-pound bomb filled with concrete, no explosive on it. And we'll drop those, you know, monthly uh, over at our ranges here in the United States or abroad. So it's possible that if I were looking up at the right moment, I could see a, a ton of concrete falling from the sky. We have never never dropped an actual concrete weapon off of a range. We, we go through excruciating detail in our mission planning to ensure that does not happen. Now, you guys do work that people love making movies about. What is the, the dumbest thing you've ever seen in a movie, the, the farthest thing from the actual reality uh, of being a pilot? The thing that annoys me is people, and this is very small detail, but when they wear their helmets over their visor, they always have their visor cover on when they're flying. You don't fly with your visor cover on. That's <laughs> no, it, in almost every movie, and it drives me nuts. So they're basically flying blindfolded, is that? Well, yeah, your visor's supposed <laughs> to protect your eyes from the sun, and you carry these visor covers over it to protect your your visor from getting scratched you take it off obviously when you go flying sure but everyone wears them in the movies drives me nuts <laughs> that's my pet peeve do you guys love the movie top gun or do you hate it i think it's a fantastic movie yeah. i think it's hilarious broken arrow Comedy. terrible terrible movie. Wait, when you say top gun is hilarious what <laughs> what are you referring to yeah, what's so funny about top gun just the cultural differences between now and back in the 80s oh okay that. yeah i hope we haven't exposed a rift here between you guys <laughs> um so uh you guys went, you know, it, it's a unique experience to be in a plane like this. Uh, your first couple times flying, was there anything that, that really surprised you? The plane is actually, I've flown a few different planes now, and it behaves very closely to every other airplane I flew. It has no rudder, uh, has no big vertical stabilizer on the back of it, but it flies 
almost like any other airplane I've flown. In the cockpit, you'd have no idea it wasn't a normal airplane behind you. So wait, does it have the same kind of, like, uh, I don't know, dexterity in the air to kind of flip and turn and stuff like that? Yeah, you'd have no idea you weren't flying a normal airplane. Wow. It flies exactly like everything else out there, which is pretty neat. Well, it's so cool looking. I wonder if you could, like, put it up against the moon and it would look like the bat signal. (laughs) That would be tough to work, but that would be a pretty cool shot if if we could make that happen. Now something to shoot for, I guess. (laughs) Well, thank you guys so much, and and thank you for the work you do. No problem. Thank Thank you. All right, we are still collecting your Toilets of the Week. Get them to us at howto at npr.org. LeVar Burton, tell us about your toilet. Um, men's rest- restroom at the top of the 6th six is 666 Fifth Avenue in New York City. The view is the most majestic of any urinal I've ever been in. Um, it, it is currently the Grand Havana Cigar Club. Uh, and I've had occasion to be up there. It's just unbelievable, the view that you get out towards uh, the Brooklyn Bridge and and, and that part of the tri-state area. Uh, truly gobstopping. Does that make it hard to concentrate on what you're there to do, though? That I, You know, if you're at a men's cigar club, I just assume that you've reached the sort of level of proficiency at peeing where you're really not thinking about it so much. <laughs> Well, you really, that is also a situation where you, you don't want to just go in there to check out the view in case somebody else is using the bathroom, and then both people probably feel awkward. The great thing about standing up while you pee, you, you know, it, you can always fake it if you have to. All right. Uh, congratulations, LeVar Burton. You have our Toilet of the Week. Wait, I'm sorry. LeVar Burton, can, can we ask you a Star Trek question? Oh, my God, yes. How on Star Trek do they choreograph when a fa- when a, you guys get hit, when the ship takes a direct hit from a phaser yes. or something else and everybody shakes? Yes. It, 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 it is, I, and I think you, you've chosen the, the right word, it is a bit of choreography. And it, it's nothing more complicated than the director making the decision from which direction the hit is coming, which informs in the direction in which you lurch. And then a number is assigned, um, let's say between one and seven, seven being, oh my God, you know, the, the ship is coming apart. Um, we decide on the number, and then everybody is responsible for their own interpretation of the force of impact. And um, over time, you just kind of, every, everybody dials it in. You know, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's sort of an organic thing uh, that, that that happens with the with the cast, um, and it's a beautiful thing to behold. Don't you think? It it is. Did yeah. did did you ever go the wrong way? Oh, uh, you know, we we that that is part of the process. You see, um, because it's 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 never a straight line to perfection. Sure, is it? No, right? no. So, so there is some some trial and error, and and you, in those cases, you rely on the honesty of of your castmates. Oh, that was oh, that was terrible. Really, yeah, you went the wrong way. That was a five, not a seven. <laughs> <laughs> so, was there anyone uh, in the cast who tended to, even when it was a one, maybe act like it was a six? No, and and see, that's that's I think part of the beauty of the next gen cast. 
we all, I think, demonstrated natural instincts for ship shaking. Yeah. Okay. While we have you, we have one more thing. We got this question from Seth. And Seth wants to know, uh, if a butterfly were in the sky, how high could I fly compared to said butterfly? Uh, does he have access to medical marijuana? <laughs> That's an option. <laughs> any periodicals, any printed material that you might Oh, oh um, for empirical research yeah. um, of the book variety, uh, I'm stumped. However... I think this is an indication that Seth is probably meant to write that uh-huh. treatise. Okay. Okay. So you would recommend maybe that he should take a look in a book. Or, absent finding one, write that book. And would you say Seth can be anything? Oh my goodness, yes. He can go anywhere and be anything. Oh, all right. Does it help to have friends to know? It does, and ways to grow. Yeah, that sounds like some. These all sound like good answers for Seth. Okay. Thanks so much, LeVar. My work here is done. (laughs) (laughs) I got a question from Rahim. Rahim has a problem. Uh, He, his dog has been jumping on the bed when he's trying to have lovey-dovey time, uh, his words, with uh, the missus, also his word. So on the line with us is our animal expert, Kevin Fitzgerald. So, Kevin, what do you think? It's sure nice to talk to you guys again. It's been too long. Uh, The first problem is that that dog, I I will bet you, sleeps in that bed with those people, okay? Uh So the dog thinks, hey, you know, this is kind of my turf, or that's my person, and, you know, what's going on? How come, you know, you're not talking to me? It may be that this dog is left alone for long periods of time, and and you know any uh, attention is good, even bad attention. You know, you can get yelled at. Okay, like, hey, get out of here. Can't okay, see we're busy. You know, and and you know, uh, at least somebody's talking to me. Yeah, sure. So I think I think you know these are are social creatures. They they uh, are from a wolf pack, and they've. Uh, they've come to impose the human as the the, the pack leader, and and so I think if this dog is is reassured and and uh, you know we spend quality time with him in other ways, that maybe we won't have this problem in the bedroom. Now, Kevin, uh, is it possible that the dog knows what's going on there? Well, certainly there are pheromones, and I, I don't know if the dog is is you know totally aware, but I, I think you know the the dog has a pretty good hunch. I think that when uh, uh, that we need to somehow distract that dog or confine it to another area, you know, when, when people are going to, uh, you know, get down to business. Do you think you could maybe train a dog so that whenever you turned on the Barry White music, the dog would go into another room and stay there for, for an hour? <laughs> I think it would be hard, but I think it's possible. Well, I wonder if... If after just one session of watching, witnessing you with the Barry White, <laughs> if that wouldn't just repel the dog enough so that once it came on, it would run. It would know to run. Well, that's right. You know, I think if, they, if, if the, the, the dog witnessed some things, he'd, you know, he'd, he'd, uh, he'd maybe get the authorities. Yeah. he'd be be so alarmed or or, or so disturbed you know but oh man this one this one was tough i was i was dancing around 
what I really wanted to say the whole time with this one, and this this one was tough, man. Well, this is where, where angels fear to tread, you know. I mean, it's just like you, you know, dog voyeurs or something. Well, you know? Kevin, like, here's Kevin. Here's thirty seconds. Do you just want to let it go, like all the things we're holding back, and we'll we'll bleep as as appropriate? You, you keep the time, okay? All right, ready? You keep the thirty seconds. And okay, five, four, three, two, one. Well, I think that the dog, it's not uh, what he's used to. He's trying to give you pointers. You know, I'm old blue, but I know more than that. You know, know, uh, where's your red thing? (laughs) You Um, you know, but these are so filthy. I mean, what can you say? Kevin Fitzgerald, thank you so much. I think, uh, if nothing else, we've given him a lot to think about. Well, good luck to Raheem. I just think that, uh, um, if he has more trouble with his girlfriend, maybe you could just give him my email. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> Take care, Kevin. <laughs> All right. All right, we are now at the Sweet 16 in March Madness Tournament in the How to Do Everything bracket pool. Uh, I am not doing well. I think I'm doing I'm, I'm doing better than you. But uh, David Kleeman is actually in first place as we record this. David, congratulations. Thank you. I'm sure that won't last long. Well, did you have a strategy uh, at the outset? Anything that kind of guided your picks? I had a, a, a combination of strategies. Um, mostly it has to do with schools I like versus schools I don't like. That I, and I have this whole set of completely random schools that I've just never liked. Um, so Notre Dame never goes very far in my bracket. Okay. Right. No good reason for it, just didn't like them. There are times when that gets overridden. Um, Duke, I can't stand, but they're just too good to uh, to eliminate early. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think anyone likes Duke. I think even people that go there realize don't don't really like it. Yeah, and then and then um, sometimes I like to. Well, I like to go for the teams where you can have fun with their their names. Right. Uh, you know, I I had the Butler uh, the Butler did it going pretty far, um, and I had the Creighton Barrels in the in the first round. So you're just coming up with your own mascots for these exactly. Teams. Yeah. So have you ever won a, a bracket pool before? No, I always I always drop in the second week. So, but have you you've been in this position before where things look good for you, but you you know the fall is coming. Somehow, almost every year, I'm in this position of being near, at or near the top. You have an opportunity now. I don't think this opportunity will exist for you next week to uh, trash talk everyone else in our competition. Do you have anything that you want to say? Oh, uh, <laughs> I, I can pick 67% of the winners better than any of the rest of you folks out there. All right, so you're bad at trash talking. I think yeah. that's well established here. Yeah. Uh, I was kind of hoping that How to Do Everything would teach me how to trash talk. Um, well, we can look into this. We'll try it. Yeah. yeah. I, I could use the help. All right. Well, uh, congratulations, David, on making it this far, uh, this early. Hope to see you in a few weeks, but doubt it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we will look into David's question in a minute. First, let's uh, talk to Naomi, who is in last place in our bracket pool. Hey, Naomi, congratulations. Oh, what an honor. So uh, what what kind of strategy did you use in, in making your picks? I did it on location. Okay. I live near Iona. Okay. And um, I wanted them to win because I live near them. Sure. So that's how I did it. You filled in the team you hoped would win rather than the one you thought would win. Yeah. I think I did it on a very American way. 
because um, you always root for the underdog in America. Yeah, so sure. There you go. Did you pick the underdog in in every single matchup? In yeah, the... I did. Okay. <laughs> I did. That's super. I tried American. to make the most interesting March Madness that I could. If there was upset after upset after upset after upset, you would have to tune into every game. It would be great for ratings. Wait, so do you have Iona going all the way? Yes, I have them <laughs> winning. And what? And do you I, do? You... I think they got knocked out already. <laughs> I can't remember who they played even. In the first, neither can I. So Naomi, we talked to uh, the guy in first place, uh, David Kleeman, and he was looking to do some trash talking to uh, the people below him. Uh, do you want to? Oh, do you want to try? I'm ready to trash talk with him. Yeah. What do you? What do you got? I'm going to say that you are too good for this. You are too good, and you you know what's going to happen, and you must be some sort of black magic witch person and we must burn you at the stake all right it's also it's a compliment talk in a in a kind of a way too until until he's burned it's at the a stake compliment. Yeah. yeah well uh naomi congratulations on filling in the last uh spot on the standings okay. standings bracket go iona what <laughs> <laughs> i said i said go iona Oh, yeah. Go Iona. <laughs> All right. I'm take- sure that was the first time it, that has ever been said. It felt weird coming All out right. of my mouth, I'll admit. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Naomi. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, I, I think we have somebody, actually, who can help David with his question about how to trash talk. Uh, Dick Vitale, what can you tell him? Well, you know, I think the bottom line is right now you need a little bit of luck, and uh, uh, my bracket's completely busted. I, I mean, it's unbelievable out there with some of the shockers, Florida Gulf Coast. I mean, who could have ever projected them being a Sweet 16? Harvard beating New Mexico. and You need a little bit of luck out there. My little granddaughter, Ava, seven years old, she's done a better job than I've done. She's going to take my job. Oh, wow. That almost sounds like you're trash-talking David. I mean, your granddaughter could do better than our guy. Yeah, my granddaughter's doing phenomenal. I mean, she's done better than me, that's for sure. I tell you, Mike, it's, it's, it's really, it's so difficult. It's just a guessing game. Uh, the beauty of college basketball is one bad night, the party's over. We saw it last night with Indiana going down, and we saw it with Miami. Both had terrific years and had great seasons. But you have that one bad night, and Syracuse dominated, and so did Marquette. Well, so, okay, Dickie V, you've been around sports. You've been around, I bet, some pretty uh, fantastic trash talkers. What's, what's the secret to doing some good trash talk? Well, you know, I, I think trash talk can sometimes a little carried away. I really do. I, I, I think sometimes it becomes unsportsmanlike. It's okay to have a little swag, a little bit of cockiness in terms of, you know, believing in yourself. But sometimes I, I would advise for young kids, I'll just play the game. Play the game the right way. Do it with style and class and just perform and, and, and let that be the answer. And if you do that, you'll do well. I mean, all these guys that will run their mouths and think they're so bad and so cool, many times just uh, it, it's, it's just unsportsmanlike. Right, right. All right, well, we'll tell David that. But the bottom line is you want them to play as a team. T for togetherness, E for effort, A for attitude, and M for mental toughness. All right, Dickie V, thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Mike. You can find Dick Vitale's new book, Getting a W in the Game of Life, on his website, dickvitaleonline.com. That does it for today's show. What we learned today, Mike? Well, I learned that uh, a B-2 stealth bomber, as cool as it is, 
It's like shaped like a like a bat wing. It looks like totally wicked. But inside, it's kind of like a like a like a frat house. Yeah. Like a tiny frat house. They're making hot pockets. I never would have thought that. You know, I love a hot pocket, but I'm never proud to eat a hot pocket. It's not yeah, it's yeah. not a it's not a moment that you want to show to the world. It's a moment of shame. I could also use maybe some stealth technology whenever I want to enjoy a hot pocket. Well, I think that's what takes away the sting of the hot pocket is knowing that you're traveling at the speed of sound and could destroy anyone beneath you. I, I learned that uh, Dick Vitale is always at level seven on the Star Trek scale. It, it, it's, he's never not yelling. Yeah. Can you imagine him reading your kids a story before they go to bed? Good night, moon. Good night, red balloon. Good night, old lady. Whispering hush. Good night, mush. How to Do Everything is produced by Blythe Hega with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is uh, Raheem's dog. Good job, Raheem's dog. We'd also like to thank Richard and Cicely, who went to great lengths to finally help us get LeVar Burton on the show. Hey, guys, whatever you did, it worked. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. And visit our website, howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks.